Welcome to Soul Talk, where we talk about things that really go on inside of us as we go through our lives and and what life holds for us. So speaking of, we all have what I'll call pictures of life, you know, how it should go, how it's going to go, how it's supposed to go. And these are based upon how we've been formed, what we've been exposed to, what our beliefs are, what our experience of the world has been, the worldviews even of the people that we're surrounded by. And so as we transition from our childlike understandings of life and move into adulthood, sometimes those pictures hold true and life is predictable. But most of the time, we find that our pictures need adjusting. That what they were built on was not the real stuff of life. I mean, after all, whoever on their wedding day imagines the for worse part of the vow they are making really. Whoever, when they hold a healthy newborn baby in their arms, pictures holding him or her again in just a few years after an overdose. Our idealistic pictures often are based upon the true longing in our soul for the perfection God has implanted in us. That's Ecclesiastes 3.11. It captures it this way. It says that God has set eternity in the heart of man. So it's true. You know, the fantasies, the beautiful pictures, the heroic stories we enact in our minds, the peaceful vignettes we long to construct in life, the perfect holidays we hold our breaths hoping to pull off, the last-minute game-winning score. (laughs) These perfection-laced scenarios, they are, they're outworkings of our deepest longings for the no more tears or crying or pain or death reality described in Revelation 21 that we are going to enjoy when we escape the brokenness of this life once and for all. I can't wait. (laughs) But until then, some of us must face and grapple with the harshest of realities for a time being when our pictures are shattered. And the only survival through that devastation is to know the companionship of a God who promises to be faithful in His presence, His provision, and his eternal hope. You know, a compelling line from the hit Hamilton is after the death of their son that they are learning to live with the unimaginable. The incredible friend I have the honor of being with today is in this very place, learning to live with the unimaginable. And she has known the intimate companionship of this faithful, providing, Hope-giving God, even in the midst of a darkness most parents believe they could never recover from. Sarah Cobb is a mother to Aaron, Ben, Annie, Daniel, and Katie, who is now with Jesus. She is a nurse practitioner, a women's ministry leader, a pastor's wife, active in her kids' sports as well as her own active lifestyle, and now an author. Sarah has recently released a book combining Katie's journal entries with her own reflections from the time of Katie's battle with cancer into a compelling and beautiful work, inviting us to an authentic picture of walking with Jesus in trial. So I am beyond excited to hear from this one who I knew as a wealth of wisdom long before Katie's passing, who has only grown in her richness and depth during that time. So... Welcome, Sarah. I am so honored and thrilled to be with you today. Yay. Yay. <laughs> it is it is such a blessing and a joy 
um, just to be sitting here with you. So thank you for inviting me. I'm so, I just, I can't even, I'm so excited. So yeah, how this is coming to be is awesome. And I can't, you know, I can't even remember how and when we first crossed paths to get to this blessed intersection right now. So I think it was around 12 years ago. Yeah, when you were at a women's uh, weekend, because I'm pretty sure that was the the women's retreat weekend that I actually brought my three-week-old baby to. (laughs) Is that crazy? Yeah, so that was not baby Katie, though. You're not telling me that. that So it was baby number two then, huh? uh, Four. Baby. What'd you have them one after the other? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Like boom, boom, boom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Except for the last one, he was kind of a caboose. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. Well. Wow. That's amazing. And you know, I, I, we never really had a chance to get to know each other very well during those times. But I always remember you had a steady, calm, like can-do demeanor. And I'm wondering, like, were you always that way? Well, my emotional bandwidth has never been very extreme. So (laughs) maybe steady is a really good word for that, right? So whether that's a product of my personality or my birth order or family Mm -hmm. dynamics or uh, even many years as an ER nurse. Oh, there you go. Could have added into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. There's. I'm not much for drama. Yeah. There's a little piece I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Wow. Okay. Would you say going through what you have these last three years, would you say that's altered that demeanor or, I don't know, maybe better yet, answer how did going through what you have these last years change that demeanor? Like, how are you noticeably different than you were before? Well, I I don't know that I'm noticeably different to other people. Like at first glance, I don't know that others would see a difference in me. But so much of the change that has uh, happened in these last few years is is in my soul. Mm. It really is. I still do some of this, a lot of the same things, right? I'm a mom, I'm a wife, I'm a nurse, I'm a friend, but I look at life differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, I parent differently. I love my husband differently. I have boundaries. I feel things that I didn't feel before. Mm-hmm. My perspective on this life and the next is just different. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, okay. So to the point, I know that one of the most important, loudest messages to you from the Lord and from you to the world then is that this is Katie's story. So I know that this is a large part of why you're here and why we're having this conversation. So I'm just going to get right to it in that regard, if you're okay with that. Would you be willing to, as best you can, describe for us kind of the the overview, flyby, however you want to say it, of Katie's battle, what it was, how it came to be, how long it took, even some of the twists and turns in it for us. And I know that's a big ask. And so we'll just start chunking through it. But yeah, I really appreciate that if you'd be willing. Oh, yeah. The memories are um, sweet, hard sometimes, but sweet. So God very clearly told me that this was Katie's story even before she was diagnosed. Um, wow. In October 2016, Katie was uh, 13, just turned 13. She was actually admitted into the hospital for what we thought was a very severe pneumonia. Mm -hmm. Um, She had a a scan while she was in there, and they found a mass in her chest. So we didn't know what that mass was, 
but it was definitely something. And of course, we were praying that it would be nothing, mm. uh, but it was it was apparently something. And uh, she was after a few days in the hospital with oxygen and a chest tube that I had been staying with her. I finally went home to sleep at home with my other kids and and traded shifts with my husband. And uh, that that morning, I remember I, I slept. I was exhausted. I woke up that next morning and, and sat on the couch, just rocking back and forth, clutching my chest and just saying, Jesus, mm-hmm. Jesus over and over again and, and saying things to God like, I love her and I need her and you can't take her from me. And as I finally got myself up and walked up the steps uh, to somehow go on with life and get my other kids ready for school. I remember saying, if you need to teach me a lesson, don't use her to do it. And with that, I felt God just knock me to my knees there on the steps. And it was the most audible voice I've ever heard God speak. And he said, shh, this is not about you. This is not your story. This is Katie's story. So just a few days later, she was diagnosed. The pathology came back. It showed Hodgkin's lymphoma. Hmm. Now, Hodgkin's is very treatable. It is a blood Mm -hmm. cancer, but it's considered very treatable. And of all the things that it could be, if this mass in her chest was going to be something, this was the best option. Right. And hmm. that's how I spun it. That's how I spun it to Katie, to my other kids, to our family, that six months of treatment is generally what it takes to put Hodgkin's into remission. And I said, Katie, you can do this. I mean, this is your story, but one day it'll just be a part of your story. It's going to be a hard year, but then it'll be behind you. Hmm. And so she took that and she ran with it. And for the first Six months, those next uh, six months of chemo, she did great. Mm. We pulled her from school because, you know, we didn't know how she would handle it or what her immune system would be. But she continued to live life and live it to the full. She went to basketball games and she went ice skating with her friends. She even went tubing at a snow resort one weekend. And I just was not willing to take anything else from her. Cancer was going to take enough. I wasn't going to take anything else. So mm. if she could do it, we we let her do it. Mm. And uh, she just continued to, to thrive, really, even amidst that. And in March of 2017, she got a pretty clean bill of health. She had mm. a PET scan that looked clear. And uh, no disease noted on that. And the first thing she said to her oncologist was, well, can I go back to school tomorrow? Because <laughs> Katie was a social butterfly. Uh, and the oncologist was like, uh, how about Monday? I think this was like a Thursday <laughs> or Friday. So that year was her eighth grade year. And she had been put on the broadcasting team. And uh, so somehow she made arrangements with this sponsor uh that she didn't tell her friends she was coming back to school, but she was going to be on the announcements, oh, doing the video that announcements awesome. that morning. So she shows up on the video oh. announcements and says, good morning, I'm Katie Cobb, and I'm back for good. Oh. Oh. It was so sweet. So great. So sweet. Oh. But it was just a few weeks later um, that she started to deteriorate again. Mm. Um she just woke up one morning and she just didn't look right. It was Palm Sunday, if I remember right. And 
She, she looked tired. Um, she had actually gone to a concert the night before, so I said, ah, oh, she just didn't sleep as well. She, but her breathing started getting fast, and that was just this flashback to her original diagnosis because that um, was one of her presenting mm. symptoms originally. So I actually kind of left the house in denial. I was like, uh, I'm not going to give way to fear. That can't be what this is. And mm. I, I mm. went to run an errand, and while I was out, Chad, uh, my husband, called and said, she has a fever. And, I mean, relapse had been Katie's greatest fear. Well, sure. Oh, what if wow. this comes back, Mom, yeah. she would say. Yeah. Um, so uh. the next day we went in uh, to the oncologist's office, and we sat there, and she just kept saying through tears, like, I know it's back, Mom. I just know it is. And I couldn't argue, I couldn't argue with that. I... I knew it was, too. So two days later, um, this surgeon took her back into the OR, same surgeon who had just taken her uh, medication port out of her chest a couple weeks earlier, took the Steri-Strips off her chest because the incision wasn't even fully healed, and he opened up the same place in her chest and put the same chemo port back in. And it was awful. It was um, completely surreal to be sitting in the same waiting room, the oh. same surgeon, the same everything. And I just sat there and was like, is this really happening to us? And it was the most defeated I think I've ever felt in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, she had fought. We had fought so hard mm-hmm. and so well. And then to have her cancer come back so viciously mm-hmm. and then with this terrible infection in her lungs as well, um, she, it, it was, it was so hard Mm. and she was over the next few days became even more sick and very quickly um and our little local hospital um just didn't have the resources for that Mm, not for that Mm. and so we asked to be to be transferred we transferred her via helicopter to a much bigger hospital much higher level facility and if I had uh, previously questioned that decision at all, I knew then that I had done the right thing because she immediately went to the ICU there oh, wow. and received very, very aggressive management. Um, but she did well. She did well with that and responded to it. And in a few days, a week hmm. or so, she was moved back out to the Peds oncology floor there where she and we met some amazing physicians, mm. amazing nurses um, who really tried to fight this relapsed cancer. They, and they, they fought with us very mm. hard, but her cancer didn't, it wouldn't respond. Uh, they try this type of chemo and then that type of chemo and nothing would work. Every time we would have another scan, uh, it would be worse. So eventually oh. we realized that, uh, her cancer was not just relapsed. It was what they called refractory. It was going to be completely resistant to chemo and it wouldn't respond at all. Uh, so then it was like, okay, well now what? Because that's what we, that's what we treat cancer with, right? This is a horrid, mm. horrid medication, but it kills cancer. But now even that wasn't going to work for her. Eventually they decided, and I say eventually, but I mean, Tammy, this was like two months. I mean, it felt like eternity, but it mm. was really mm. just a couple months if I, if, if I look at dates, but they tried an immunotherapy medication that had literally just got approved for pediatric patients uh, just prior to that. And the combination of the immunotherapy and the full lung radiation at the maximum dose possible for her mere 70 pounds 
was able to get her Hodgkins to a point that she could go home. Wow. Yeah. But she wasn't going home because it was gone. Mm. And that's when I began to realize it, this is not going away for her. Mm. Even if it's controlled, this is going to come back. And I began to question, how do I pray for that? Right, right. Right? Heal it now, God. Uh, but but then it comes back in two years or, or when she's a sophomore in college or when she's a young mom with two kids. I mean, how do you, how do you pray for that? Right. But I just felt like this was, this was not going to go away. The answer mm. God was telling me was no, healing was not going to come. And it was mm. it was just prior to this, or maybe around, honestly, probably around the same time that our church had decided to host this week-long 24-hour prayer vigil where they got people from not only the church and the community, but all across the country to, to take time to pray for her for a whole week. And it was during that week, during that week of prayer, that she was actually discharged from the hospital and was able mm. to come home. Mm. And it was, that was amazing. Mm. I mean, all of those prayers, it was as if they were completely answered. Mm. And did you tell me that she went into the sort of the closing ceremonies of that? Well, we actually went, Chad and I went, but Katie was a little hesitant to like show up for that because of kind of the awkward oddity of it all. (laughs) Right, right. So she did attend church that like following week, but she didn't walk into that actual ceremony or not ceremony, but service. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. She she didn't like awkward and she didn't want to be drawn attention to. I think that was the biggest thing. Like she did not want this to be all about. Yeah. Um, But what an unbelievable experience for you as you are carrying on one hand this silent, quiet knowledge of the no, mm. and yet celebrating with these ones who prayed, Katie, to this level of healing and health of that particular week and that Mm -hmm. particular time. Yeah. You know, we've we've talked before um, in, in the settings where we've been together about how all of life is lived on the two rails of joy and grief. And I'm like, oh, you were a living picture of that mm-hmm. when you walked into that setting, that prayer yeah. vigil, you and Chad right there. To be able to hold that space and have both. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Mm. But I do propose that in some way those prayers were answered. Yeah. Yeah. Just not the way that maybe that we had anticipated Mm -hmm. because again, God answers prayers from his perspective, not Mm -hmm. ours. And he gave Katie something really incredible after that discharge from the hospital. When she came home, she had the next three months at home were amazing. She loved every minute. She wore the cute bathing suits. She hung (laughs) at the pool with her friends. We were able to pull together a vacation to a white beach, which Mm. she had always wanted to see. Um, she, she painted her nails every week, I think on everybody's gift cards that they gave her. I mean, she loved life during that summer, but in August, she'd wanted to take a little trip with a couple friends. And so I took her somewhere. And while we were out, I bought a Christmas gift. Like I saw something random and thought, oh, that would be cute for this person for Christmas. And then I realized like, that's weird. And I told my friend, I'm like, I don't buy Christmas gifts early. 
that's weird. Do you think that's weird? Do you think that means something? Mm. What does that mean? Is Christmas going to be weird and different and hard for us this year? And when I tried to mention it to to my husband, Chad, he, he kind of didn't want to talk about it. Mm. Um, I just did. I honestly, at that point, did not think Katie would be here at Christmas. But I did. I did. I carried that. I didn't share that with anybody. Wow. So oh. uh, it was the end oh. of August. It was time for her to start school. This was going to be her freshman year of high school. She was so pumped. Uh, her oncologists were great to work with her. They wanted her to start to do what she could do. They wanted her to start school with her friends because that was important to her. So she was going to have to, they had decided she was going to have to have more radiation, this very uh, specific proton therapy radiation. They'd started to schedule that a few weeks into school. They were going to give her a few weeks of school before they started it. But then she developed a headache. She got a scan. The cancer had spread to the area around her brain. She was going to have to now do radiation not only to her lungs, but also to her brain. And they had to expedite everything, and it changed everything around. So she went to high school. She started high school. I think she attended four days, four days of high school before she had to pull out. And we had to go back out of town Monday through Friday for um, for three weeks of intense, uh, specific therapy, radiation therapy. Mm. And in the middle of that, might I add, that we found out we had a full infestation of bed bugs at our house. No. Yeah. <laughs> it's, hard to, it's hard to talk about. Um, <laughs> but every single item in our bedrooms, oh, every no, piece of no, clothing, every no. knickknack, every piece of paper had to be taken out, sprayed with alcohol, ran through no, a hot laundry, I I just put in the garage, thrown away. I mean, we literally dressed in our garage. Oh. Like, you would go to the garage to put on your clothes. Exterminator, all this stuff happened. I mean, it was ridiculous. My friend called it a nightmare on steroids. And I was like, that's that's kind of an understatement. <laughs> uh. So, uh, yeah, so we we're I'm going back and forth. We're going back and forth to, uh, to Cincinnati to have her, her treatment done. Katie had wanted to do uh, go to Hawaii for Make-A-Wish. That had been her plan all along, she'd mm-hmm. asked for. And she had hoped to do it after her therapy was completed so she could enjoy it to the fullest. But her oncologist uh, said to us, I think you need to schedule. I think we need to get that scheduled as soon as possible. Oh, wow. So Make-A-Wish uh, made that happen uh, very quickly. Um, we finished radiation at the end of – or she finished radiation. It was a we. Uh, but it was her. At the end of September, she found out that her classmates had chosen her to be the homecoming uh, attendant for the freshman class. So we had to go. Uh, we had to go to the local uh, clinic, have some labs drawn, get our flu shots. She got a unit of blood. Everything got checked out so she could get the thumbs up to go on this trip to Hawaii. Um, we went by the mall, picked out a dress, jewelry, shoes, all in one blow um, <laughs> because she was going to arrive home from Hawaii the day before homecoming. homecoming. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it had to be all ready to go. And she said, I'm going to have a tan, Mom, because, you know, it's October. No tans usually, but she's going to be on her way home from Hawaii. So we left for our trip. Um multiple flights across yeah, multiple right. hours. It was a long trip. Um, but throughout, she was starting to get short of breath. 
Um, mm. We finally got to Hawaii. She seemed off, tired again. It was late. We were, I mean, it was six hour time difference. We were just going to lay down and go to bed, but she was warm again. Mm. Um, and her temp was 104. Oh my. So there is no choice but to go to the ER. And by God's grace, the only pediatric oncology department in the state of Hawaii was two miles away oh. from our hotel. So uh, we took her there. They assessed her, gave her some meds, kind of got her stable um, and released her by my um, begging and pleading so that we could go back to the hotel and not stay in the hospital. We saw the outpatient oncologist the next day. So within 24 hours of our arrival in Hawaii, we had met the ER doctor and staff, the outpatient Mm -hmm. oncology department and staff. And we did decide to shorten our trip. I mean, Katie was okay, but she was really fragile. And mm. uh, her oncologist from Cincinnati and I were in close contact, and they said, you've got to, you're going to have to make this decision. Like, we can't tell you what to do, but mm-hmm. if she deteriorates quickly, you might get stuck there. And that was really hard. This was all she had wanted. wanted. All she oh. had wanted. But Make-A-Wish is amazing. They crammed everything that we wanted to do into three and a half days. We snorkeled. We swam with dolphins. We went to a luau. We ate a <laughs> lot of Hawaiian shaved ice. <laughs> and uh, Katie was incredible. Like, you would not have known that she was having that much trouble by the smile on her face. The only thing that gave her away was the piggyback rides that she was getting everywhere because she was too short of breath to walk. Um, but wow. she had wanted that trip more than anything. Mm. Uh, but even with that, she looked at me the last day and said, I just need to go home. I just, I just want to go home. Mm. The trip home was difficult. I got a lot of hard memories of that. It was hard, but we finally got her back to uh, the hospital, her hospital, where she felt the safest, Mm. the most at home. And uh, once she got there, it was like her body relaxed and she began to just deteriorate very quickly. And so her doctors, um, the ones that she knew and loved and trusted, um, walked in to her room and took her daddy out of the room to talk. And I was laid in bed with her, and she said, "Um, what's going on? And I said, well, uh, Katie, you know how when we were in Hawaii, the... um, the, the doctor said that they felt like your cancer was progressing very quickly. And so I think uh, the doctors here think that it's progressed even further. And um, there's nothing else left that they can do for it. And she said, nothing? And I just said, no, I don't think so. And she said, so do they think I'm going to die? Hmm. And I said, yeah, yeah, they do. And she said, when? And I said, well, nobody knows for sure, Katie, but um, they don't think it'll be very long. And that was it. That's how I told my 14-year-old daughter she was going to die. And for the next 21 hours, 
that girl held my hand. She didn't have a lot to say. She never cried. She never yelled or begged or pleaded. She just held my hand. So we were three hours from home, uh, the hospital, um, where she got her care. So we called for our my parents to bring our kids out, um, her immediate aunts and uncles, and um, her one of her closest friends, truly just the people that she wanted to see. Uh, and, you know, that was kind of a gift because hmm. I, in my mind, had kind of this morphed way of thinking about what might happen, had thought she might be in hospice and we'd have her at home and the weird things that, that you kind of anticipate. And even then I was starting to get mad at God again. I was like, you took something else from her. I mean, I was going to, I had it planned out, right? Mm. I mean, even that, mm. that I had planned out in my head and God took that too. And then I realized like, no, that was a gift. Like Katie, Katie would have hated people parading in front mm -hmm. of her. Mm -hmm. She would have hated that. And so to think that she just got to see the people she loved the most in all the world. And even when my kids were there, with we were all there together as a family that afternoon. I mean, we, we didn't know how long she had, but we, shot, we thought she had a few days. And so when the kids were leaving that evening to go back to the hotel where they were staying, they were talking about what games we were going to play the next day. And they were going to bring Uno and, and Scattergories. And, and Daniel, he, he grabbed her hand and gave um, – gave her their secret um, handshake and they said, we'll see you tomorrow, Katie. You know, we love you and good night. Um, and so there were no goodbyes and because it really wasn't a goodbye. And so that night um, I kind of started out the night in bed with uh, Katie and she was, I think this is good to know. But she was lucid right up until she went to sleep that night. Uh, I mean, we she, we were in and out of sleep, but uh, she we laughed about a dream that she was having, and she picked up her iPad to text her uh, and texted her friend and said, "I need you in Cincinnati." And I saw her text, and I said, "Oh, Katie, I already called her. Alyssa will be here first thing in the morning, hon." And. Uh, and then shortly after that, I traded places with Chad so that I could get some more sleep, and he crawled up in bed. And then it was the doctor that we loved, uh, that we that we just dearly loved, who happened happened to be right. uh, the mm. attending on call that night, and who could have easily gone home to sleep with his family while the residents cared for her. But he chose to stay all night, and he woke up about 4.30, and he said, hey, Sarah, you need to get up. And it was even one of her favorite nurses who had cared for her previously who just happened to be assigned uh, to care for her that night. And uh, that nurse stayed well into the, to the morning after her shift ended to help me bathe Katie. And then soon after her, her death, even before I could drag myself away from the bed, I looked up and her primary oncologist and her social worker were standing there with wet hair. They had just got out of the shower. They had come well beyond, well before their shift was to begin. And I was reminded how God had told me early on that he said, if you will trust me, I will pave this road for you and go before you and the people that he put in place to do that just humbled me yeah 
Yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> that indeed is the unimaginable. And you sit here a very short amount of time, relatively speaking, later, being able to be okay with God, let alone testify to God's goodness, let alone say God was present and being good to you in the middle of this, there are people listening right now that can't imagine how you can do that. How, how can you get beyond the why question? How can you get, I mean, everyone goes straight to God, why? Yeah. Why? Why yeah. this little girl? Like, I mean, I'm sitting here like, you know, I never got to know Katie. Yeah. And I'm thinking, why Katie? Yeah. I think that is such a human question to ask, right? And certainly something that I had asked of God multiple times. My biggest frustration and grief and beef with God all along would be why. Mm. Why would you take this girl? I mean, she wants to be a teacher or a pastor. She started a blog in the middle of her cancer to help other teens find hope in Christ. Are you kidding? Yeah. So, like, why why this child? Yeah. I mean, any child, but why this one? Really, God? Why Katie? And I was, uh, I mean, this came up for me a lot, you know, during her illness and then after her death as well. And I was, I remember one night I was, recounting this to God again, going over it and over it again with him again, hmm. I was basically accusing God of making a bad decision for taking this girl out of this world, a girl who wanted to impact this world with her life. Because <laughs> I said, God, you, she wanted to do so much for your mm. kingdom. Why would you take that away? Mm -hmm. Why would you take that away? And he responded to me so clearly he said, my son had more of an impact on my kingdom after his death than before. So what makes you think I can't do that with your daughter? Wow. He shut me up. When I said she wanted to impact this world for you, God, he said, she still can. Wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. That's quite the perspective. And as I said, you know, you clearly still love God through all this. How, how can you, uh, can you speak to loving God even through all this? You know, as a mom with her daughter um, walking through this, I often put my arm around Katie and said, I'm sorry. I'm just sorry, Katie, that you have to do this. I mean, I, you know, I would have traded places with her, but I couldn't. Uh, I could walk with her and come alongside her. But love it or hate it, this was her story. There, there was nothing I could do to change that. But God did that for me. 
Tammy. So many times I felt God put his arm around me and I'd be sitting there kind of in my chair with my Bible open, but not able to read and kind of mad. And I couldn't pray and I couldn't talk and I didn't know what to do. And I was just like, well, I'm just going to sit here with God. I mean, like, I don't want to talk to you, but I will just sit here with you. And I could feel God's arm around my shoulder and I would kind of almost pull into him and I could hear him say, I'm sorry you have to do this. Uh, I'm just sorry that you have to do this. Yeah. yeah. And when he did that, it enabled me to start to let my guard down a little bit. Mm. And I learned how to be loved by God. Mm. Up to that point in my relationship with God, I think it had always really been about what I would do, right? Right. What I did for him. Yes, right, right. Mm -hmm. Just, I wouldn't have admitted that, but it was. Mm -hmm. It was what I'm doing Mm -hmm. for him. But I learned how to let God love me without any effort on my part, through nothing that I could do Mm -hmm. or bring to him. And when I did that, I experienced a depth of love that God had for me that was beyond anything I'd ever known before. I have found that many of the leaders that I get to sit with, that's the actually the very hardest thing for them, is to just receive the love of God individually, uniquely, lavishly, overwhelmingly for them that receiving the love of God, there's something about just receiving with nothing, nothing, doing nothing. Just having to take it is the hardest thing. It is so hard, but so incredible to think that I did nothing. Mm. Yeah. <sighs> wow. So that is an unbelievable an awesome way that you're obviously different now. Um, how else would you say, I mean, it's just kind of almost a dumb question, but I have to ask it. How else would you say that you're different now? Well, you know, I'd never really fought with God before. Ah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had a very nice Christian smiley face that I wore. <laughs> And, um, yeah, I, uh, God and I pretty much wrestled it out after Katie's death. Mm. Um, I, I yelled and I hit his chest with my fist. I learned how to say bad words (laughs) that I had never said before because I, I I now knew how to feel because mm. shortly after Katie was diagnosed, I started seeing a counselor. And I I just, I mean, Katie was doing great, right? And I went to this counselor. I was like, I just feel off. Like something's, 
I don't know what it is, but I just don't feel like myself anymore. And I don't think it's about Katie because she's doing fine. <laughs> I mean, can you even imagine? What what would you think about that if I came to you and said that as a counselor? I would say that makes perfect sense <laughs> to how lots of people see things right away. Yes. So, I, I mean, there were a lot of things that I needed to grow in, but one of the biggest was I had no idea how to feel wow. things. Yeah. And so, yeah. Thankfully, I think before, uh, well before Katie's uh, death, while we were going through this, I learned how to feel. So now not only do I have to go through this dang Mm. grief, I have to feel it. I can't just pretend like it's not affecting me. Yeah, and you had talked about that pretending coming from this, like being a Christian meant like, well, I'm fine. It's good. I'm fine. Like being a Christian meant like having a smile on my face and like pointing out the good things. Like, no, but we live in America. Healthcare's fine. Like it's treatable. Like all of those good positive things. Like that's what it is to be a Christian. Look at that good stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. I think fine is a four letter F word. (laughs) If you want my honest opinion. <laughs> because it's not fine, it's Tammy. Not. Yeah. I mean, when God created the world, he said it was good. Mm. And it was. But then sin entered the world. And so mm. everything got destroyed with it. And there's so much brokenness. And when I do not acknowledge that brokenness, when I try to pretend that it's okay, I mean, God says that's not fine. Mm. He says it's not okay. So right. why do I say right. it is? Right. And am I just agreeing with the with the enemy when I pretend like it's all fine? Right. No, it's not fine. Right. Right. And I can say it's not mm. fine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cancer is not fine. No. Chemo is not fine. No. Losing your hair is not fine. No. Nor is infertility no. or colicky babies or drunken driver, drivers or suicide. Come it on. is not fine. That's right. And so any Christian out there that feels like you've been painted a picture that to be a strong Christian means that you have a smile on your face all the time or that, you know, God is good. You have to say God is good, um, you know, all the time. It's it's okay. It's okay to realize, no, Jesus said in John 16, 33, in this world, you're going to have trouble. He said, take heart, I've overcome the world, that there's a place of hiding in him where overcoming is possible. But overcoming does not mean that we have to absolutely pretend that things don't quite, um, forgive the colloquial language, suck in some way, shape, and form for many things in this life. And I think cancer sucks. I have a lot of people in my life right now that are struggling with cancer, and there is no other way to say it, but it sucks. And I don't think that that is me not trusting God or believing that God is so good and that his plans are altogether good. But it is not fine what my friends are going through. Right. Right. So what else did you learn that you think could help provide some fuel to someone who is walking through something that they truly don't know that they can survive? I think it was St. John of the Cross who used the phrase, the dark night of the soul. Mm -hmm. And defined that as when we cannot find God. So at this time in our lives when the only way to explain or describe what you're feeling or going through is to call it darkness. Mm. Like a suffering that seems unbearable and unimaginable. 
it's just darkness. And I mm. have felt that. Mm. I don't know where God is, and I can't see him. And we look and we grasp and we reach for God in the middle of this where we, we just don't know what he's there, and I cannot find him. But I remember that he was there before the lights went out. Mm. And then every once in a while, there's this twinge of light that passes through, and I can see him, and he's still there. And so when it's really dark, I believe that he still is. Because Psalm 139 says that even the darkness is not dark to him, Mm -hmm. for darkness is his light. Mm -hmm. And he can still see me even when I can't see anything. Mm Because he is the light that gives light, right? All of this is so good, Sarah. So I get—I can't even thank you enough for pouring out your story and your heart to us so authentically. So truly, though, we've got to hear. Tell us, tell us about this awesome book. This awesome mm. book and Katie's journal is is embedded in it. So also tell us about kind of where we can find the book. So tell us just all about it. Okay. Okay. So, um, you know, when Katie was starting to write her blog in the middle of her cancer journey and uh, she had just all these things that God was saying to her and she would write them down and she said to me, uh, she said, you know, I do think I want to be a pastor because I love I love breaking down God's word for people and helping oh them understand. Oh my goodness! That. At thirteen and fourteen, yeah. what? Yeah, she was thirteen. Amazing. So I said to her, I said, "Katie, we should write a book together." <laughs> and in her thirteen-year-old way, she had a very good eye roll that she threw my way, and she was like, "Whatever." I said, but we've got all this stuff. I mean, you have this stuff that God says to you, and I've got this stuff that God says to me, and we'll just put it together. I mean, it'll be easy, right? We'll just write a book. And so then, you know, she relapsed, and that obviously never happened. But eventually, uh, after her death, I thought, I think I still want to do that. Mm. And I began to take my memories that I had written down for the purpose of just being able to remember And I took her journals. She had lots and lots of journals. And I started to put them together. So the book is a combination. It is written by Katie and me. And it has her journals written exactly the way that she wrote them. Mm. And oh, I forgot to tell you that even the journal entries are um, in her handwriting. Oh, yeah. So I had a friend who crafted a font off of her handwriting. It looks just like her handwriting. Oh, that's awesome. Isn't that beautiful? That's awesome. And where is it? Is it on Amazon? Is it okay? Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And it's called Katie's Katie's Story. Story. Yeah. Let God's light shine in me. Let God. Let Mm -hmm. God's light shine me. So good. Clearly. It's happening. She's it's shining through you. Mm. Yeah, amazing. So, speaking of that light, um, it was so powerful to me that you shared a vision of sorts that you have of the last minutes of Katie's life. Mm-hmm. That's so vivid for you, and I wondered if that's where you'd sort of close us today, if you would be willing to recount that again because it was so powerful as I heard you share it with me. Mm. 
remembering the moments of Katie's death is, I know this may sound weird to some people, but it's actually very sweet gift of a memory that I have. And when I um, recall her breathing her last breath um, with me tucked up into her, I cannot separate that picture, uh, Tammy, that, that memory in my mind from this other image of her uh, just running into the arms of Jesus. Like, mm. I never see one without the other. Uh, and, you know, I have enough medical knowledge to understand some of the <laughs> final changes that were happening with her as her uh, kind of lungs filled up with this fluffy tissue and fluid of called lymphoma very quickly. Um, I think that from a spiritual standpoint, they were also filling up with heaven. And you introduced me to this idea, Mm. this concept that I had not fully grasped Mm. at that time, that we have our feet planted in both Mm -hmm. realms. We are Mm -hmm. already living in the blessings of eternity, Mm -hmm. even while our feet still walk the earth. I believe that Katie's lungs had less and less space available for breathing the air of earth because, spiritually speaking, her lungs were filling more and more with the air of heaven. Wow. And eventually there just wasn't enough capacity for both. (laughs) That is unreal. Yeah. And I know that Katie loved the joys of this world. I mean, she wanted to play with puppies forever. And she loved being with her friends and uh, all the things. But I truly believe that if Katie had to choose, she would have said, give me Jesus. That's incredible. Ephesians 2, 6 is the verse that you it encaptures the truth that you're referring to, that God raised us up with Christ and seated us in the heavenly realms. Seated us with him in the heavenly realms of Christ Jesus. I think here we are, we're sitting here, but we're raised up. We're seated in the heavenly realms. It's both and. Hmm. We are spiritual beings. We are, in in one sense, breathing in heaven, and in one sense, supposed to exhale it here on earth. That's how we're supposed to be transforming this earth. We're supposed to be, you know, conduits of heaven, of light and love hmm. as we move about this earth. And certainly, so many listening have experienced you and Katie, yes, hmm. as conduits of light and love. Uh, during these precious moments that we've had together. So thank you, thank you, thank you for your time, for your story, for sharing it so vulnerably and really authentically and in a way that's so relatable to us and for opening up how a mother navigates the unimaginable. You've shown us that even though there is the darkness that you think you'll never get through. I'll never forget, like, you you wrote me a little while ago and said, hey, here's some words I thought I'd never say again. I'm doing well. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) You know? uh, You know, Tammy, I think I longed. I I loved the idea of heaven before. Yeah, uh uh-huh. I love the idea of heaven. 
but I never wanted to leave this world to go there. Mm-hmm. And now, now I'm like, peace out. <laughs> How long do I have to stay? Yes. Yes. Oh, God. And that's just where we want to be, is we want to be willing to say yes to our time here and what you say is our mission here. So thank you for Sarah and the whole family being willing to say yes to walking with Katie's journey, cancer, and the unimaginable from an earthly perspective. And they did it because they were able to breathe in the air of heaven and exhale it the whole way through that journey. That they were able to be fueled and and um, filled up by strength that was not their own. The strength of an eternal hope. The strength of a perspective of love and joy and peace that will be ours forever one day soon. So, God, thank you for Sarah and this time. I pray your uh, compassion would continue to extend to their family and certainly the beautiful anointing you've put on this family. I pray, God, uh, that you would allow Sarah to get to speak and share in lots and lots of places that Katie's story would continue to go on and uh, compel people to want to know more about you. So thank you for this time and for any listener who is walking in darkness that uh, they would remember uh, Sarah's incredible words that you gave her to say, so many of them today, but particularly that you were there before the lights went out and that you are the God who is with whether we can feel you and sense you or not at a particular moment in time. So we thank you for this time together and uh, we, I pray for all who hear my voice even now that as we sign off, they would know you are Emmanuel, God with us, no matter where we are and what the what is in our lives. And we praise you for being that kind of intimate almighty. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.